To Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love dogs and cats and the people who care about them. I'm here every week with authors and experts to expand our appreciation and our understanding of the ways that animals are part of our world. To hear other episodes of this show and other informative pet talk radio shows I co-host with top veterinarians and experts, please go to RadioPetLady.com. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. The Radio Pet Lady Network is partnered with my other enterprise, the Dog Film Festival, which celebrates the remarkable bond between dogs and their people. I'll be taking the festival across the United States, including Washington, D.C., Rochester, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Phoenix. I hope to see you in East Hampton, New York, on August 2nd, and at the second annual Dog Film Festival in New York City, October 15th. You can find more information at dogfilmfestival.com. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Waruva, a privately owned pet food company that uses people food to make food for cats and dogs in their family's human food facility. Pouches of their cats in the kitchen, their more economical BFF, best feline friend, and all varieties of canned Waruva for cats and little dogs are made with the same care and specifications used to make food for people. Waruva's owners want to feed your pets and their own dogs and rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, for whom the company is named, with ingredients that are good enough for people to eat. I have some swell ladies joining me today. Jackie LaFaro created the Take Two Short Documentary Festival that you've often, many of you, I hope, have been to in Sag Harbor, 10th year, wonderful film festival creator and director. They're throwing out something new for us in the Hamptons for the joy of spring, so we're going to talk about that. Allison Hodgson will be here with her darling book, The Pug List, a ridiculous little dog, a family who lost everything, and how they all found their way home. And then Ellen Myers will be here to talk to us about Briards, which she not only breeds, she lives in the Hamptons, but I saw one of them at Madison Square Garden at the Westminster, so that's pretty cool. Jackie LaFaro, welcome to the show. It's just been so delightful to meet you online and now in person, so to speak. Thanks, Tracy. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about sharing spring, the joy of spring, and all the love of all living creatures with everyone. Which is a pretty cool name. You, you're, you're a once a year, big time, multi day um, film festival. Right. We're but a now four day, four day, four day docu- all docs, all day. Right. Which is pretty cool. And ten years later, it's a pretty much a staple of, of especially of the year round community that is looking for profound cultural experiences. But now you're throwing in something super fun in the spring, and it's going to have. It, you're featuring a lot of the, I guess, better or more something or another cat videos from the Cat Video Festival as part of for the joy of spring and love of all living creatures. Talk about that that um, content and how you picked it. Okay. Well, we have three films for the day, <clears throat> one o'clock, three o'clock, and five thirty. But the one o'clock film is Cats Are Back. It's the uh, Internet Cat Video Festival that's curated by the Walker Art Center. And this is a wildly popular program that they created, so it's heading our way. And it's curated in conjunction with Bill uh, Will Braden, who's the creative Henri Le Chat Noir, 
if anybody watches cat videos in their in the privacy of their own computer room, he, they'll know who on, that is. He's been on this show talking about his book some time ago. Oh, okay, it's a well he. Book. He, uh, in conjunction with the Walker Art Center, created, curated this program. So they are the very best of the cat videos. Um, and uh, when Walker Art Center started this a few years ago, it was an, uh, an experiment. And it grew into, they hosted 11,000 people last year at an outdoor screening of this program in a large green space that's next to the art center. So it's um, it's a pretty spectacular program. We wanted Tracy to do something that was very uplifting uh, this time of year um, and to celebrate spring, to celebrate Earth Day, to look at our planet. And so we chose the Internet Cat Video Film Festival that people, we guarantee you'll not stop smiling, laughing as you experience the ultimate meaning of cuteness. And instead of watching them quietly in your own home, you're going to see them all on the big screen and laugh with everyone else. So I, we I, think it's going to I be think, great fun. I think people will remember I had a I had Will on the show and I had a, a number of other participants in the Cat Video Festival and people from the Walker Art Museum who'd put it on. The very first year they got 10,000 people when it didn't right. even have any buzz to it. Then they put it on at the state fair and people had to actually pay money, and they still got 10,000 people, and they did it again. <laughs> and another 10,000 people came. Right. So, so we're, in, we're encouraging, yes. and they encourage the people to come with, uh, to, to particularly to bring their kids, and, uh, you know, put on some whiskers and uh, their best cat T-shirt, and come and enjoy it. We have in the lobby of the Bay Street Theater an all-day silent auction with wonderful items, including... Uh, pet-related gift packages and baskets, and so we're happy about that. Well, you don't know this, but I am sending you a big, fat stack of awesome cat-related books that have the authors have been on this show, and I'm putting the Cat Bible in there, too. But many of the authors that people have heard on the show, all kinds of, of a a big stack of them, so I hope that will bring some extra nice money because the work you do is... uh, a lot of it is uh, philanthropic in a way. You're never right. going to get rich on this. It's really a sense of bringing culture to the community. And I think that bringing the, the Cat Video Festival the best of is a pretty wonderful thing to bring. I don't know how many people actually do sit home and scroll around. Maybe they Lots. do. They do? Well, <laughs> I think it's more cool to come together in real time. I and, do And too. have somebody pick the really good ones because otherwise I hope that you do – if you do this, folks, that you think to yourself, wow, how did I just waste an hour? You know, go to <laughs> go over to ARF and, and stroke a kitty instead or come to the Joy of Spring Film Festival. Uh, what are the dates, Jackie? The festival of this particular Joy of Spring Day is April 17th, which is a Sunday, April 17th. Yep. Doors open at noon so people can browse the silent auction gifts. At 1 o'clock, the CAT uh, Internet video program goes on. That's 65 minutes, so that's about an hour. And then at 3 o'clock, we are screening a very wonderful documentary uh, by Denny Darcy on the Champions. And it's an inspirational story about the pit bulls 
rescued from the brutal fighting ring of former Atlanta Falcon star quarterback Michael Vick. And those people who risked it all to save them despite all kinds of pressure. So it's a story of second chances, redemption, and hope. It's very uplifting. And um, it debuted last year at the Hamptons International Film Festival. And there are many people who didn't get to see it, so we're hoping and inviting them to come and see it this year. Um, the filmmaker, we're going to be Skyping her in for an interview. But this documentary for her came about when she was working on a National Geographic TV series called Dogtown. And she found herself spending time at the Best Friends Animal right. Society, right? right? Okay, mm-hmm. in Utah. And she really saw the work that these people did, founded by, in the 70s, idealistic group of people who dreamed of creating a better world for all creatures. And so these are the people who took 22 of these traumatized pit bulls and have worked with them. So you'll see all of that in the film and more. It's a very, very wonderful film that we think people will um, enjoy. And we're going to have uh, the filmmaker um, at by, via Skype because she can't actually get there live. So Darcy Dennett uh, is her name. And... Um, I think that will be a terrific addition to the program. That's really, it, it's going to be really good. I mean, I'm, I haven't seen it. I, I'm surprised I haven't found it yet for the Dog Film Festival, but I'm sure I could sneak it from you or something. How long does mm-hmm. it run? It's 89 minutes. So, so it's, it's a long. Full it's an hour and a half. Full feature. Cause it's the, a the full dog feature. Because the Film Festival yeah. is mostly shorter. But I think what's going to be very interesting for people about that movie is that a million dollars was awarded by the court. The Humane Society of the United States was front and center um, in terms of the kind of historical arc of why prosecution was possible against Michael Vick and that mm-hmm. bad boys or whatever the heck it was called, uh, training, horrible, fighting pit place. Mm-hmm. Because it, before the HSUS changed, lobbied and changed the laws, nobody could be prosecuted. So for anything to do with animal cruelty. So this was a, a really important case in a kind of a national sense of where exactly. we stand as a society. Mm-hmm. But Best Friends got an enormous amount of money, at, which is great. I'm, I'm, there's no criticism at all. But they were already had in place, as you said, this idealistic sanctuary, much of it designated for animals, not just dogs and cats, but mm-hmm. various other creatures who right. couldn't be rehomed, whatever the reason, whatever their mm-hmm. issues. And, and I'm dying to see the movie because – Maybe I'll pop over and, and see it with you in Harbor. Because I think what's extraordinary is that some of these dogs, like children in school settings, like Green Chimneys, for example, which is a really special place. The human-animal bond is, is acted out there all the time with animals and kids at risk. They had one-on-one caregivers, some of mm-hmm. these people that slept with them, that ate with them, that lived with them, to get them used to people and being comfortable in their own skin. Some were adopted out. In fact, I met one of them once at a, at a doggy street fair in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. One of those dogs that had been used for fighting and was wearing a little jacket saying, yes, yes. So I'm an ambassador. I, this movie is going to be really important for people to see. I, I'm sure there's no 
icky footage of dog fighting. No, there is not. I think it's not. keep saying uplifting, and I think it's important mm-hmm. to make clear it's about rehabilitation. Exactly. And, and, and the other side. And really, I right. guess, I'm guessing that what you come away with is here are dogs that have been prodded and tortured and and created into killing machines against other dogs. Right. And, it's the owners. <laughs> right. And they can be turned around. I mean, the redemptive ability of a dog to let all that go and become a guy or a gal that can be around other dogs and can be around kids and people and, and you know, let it be in their past. I mean, that's pretty, that's an extraordinary thing about dogs, right? Yes, it is. So I hope we get a really good audience for that. And then the 5.30? And and at 5.30, uh, we are running a wonderful new documentary called The Messenger, which explores the deep-seated connection to birds and songbirds. And uh, it's by uh, Sue Reinard. It's a new film. It's a a feature documentary. And um, it's really an exceptional sheet. She says, you know, that humans share the ageless bond with birds, their song, and their persistent presence in our lives. And in ancient times, to predict the future, humans look to the flight and songs of birds. So today, she said once more, the birds have something to tell us. And this is a real strong conservation film about the imperil songbird. And um, her crew spent a year... Um, in the course of a year, they followed the seasons and the birds, and they filmed on three different continents. My goodness. You know, and they discovered that the causes of the decline are many and the solutions are few. So um, this is a very telling. This is going to be co-presented uh, with SOFO, the South Fork uh, Museum of Natural History. Oh, lovely. Here, and also the um, Eastern Long Island uh, Audubon Society. So the, they, you know, they are particularly interested and concerned. So they're co-presenting with us, and we're loving that. So what we would like, Tracy, and we're offering, uh, an, you know, an all-day package, is for people to come and see not one, but two films, or see three. You know, in between, absolutely, they can, they can go out to lunch in Sag Harbor, which is really wonderful. The shops are open, the restaurants are open. We have a silent auction going, so it's, we want it to be uh, a day, a joyous day, uh, on all fronts for people to uh, come and have a good time. I and think it's it's fantastic that you have that you have the bandwidth and the the passion to bring yet another event like this to Sag Harbor that's filmic but also is in, enriching people's lives, enlightening their thought process, teaching them something, making them laugh and cry. I mean, I think that that is – I just want to say to you that you have brought something very special to the Hamptons for 10 years with the Take Two Documentary Film Festival, which started small and has grown to some serious proportions. But to add this on to your mm-hmm. plate and really in a sense to add it onto the plate of year-round Hamptonites – and those are the people who I hope most appreciate it. This is not a social event. This isn't la da right. This is really great something that you can do with your family or your loved one or by yourself. Yeah. Um, and enjoy Bay Street Theater, which is such a treasure, too, for people that don't go to the theater. 
for whatever reason you don't go right. to the live theater, you get to be in that space. It, it, some of you might remember that I, I gave my talk, what's your, what is your pet eating or something years ago to raise mm-hmm. money for, mm-hmm. for WLIU in that space and mm-hmm. reminded me of my old acting days. Wow, proscenium, cool, you know, like yeah. wrap around theater, like circle in the square or whatever. Exactly. It's and exactly it's such that. a wonderful place and to have this experience is really fun and and the timing couldn't be better because yeah. this spring is kind of like the blahs, you know? Mm-hmm, so this really mm-hmm. is the joy of spring. Right. Talk a little bit about what you have on the plate for Take Two. If it's possible that people listening say, Take Two, a documentary film festival, how did I miss that? Well, because we've been around um, and uh, we have grown and keep growing. We have large audiences that know that they can come and see uh, important documentary films at the festival. And um, it, um, on a Saturday, you know, part of the event is we honor a documentary icon on Saturday at our gala. And uh, last year it was Stanley Nelson, but we've also honored Barbara Koppel, Susan Lacey, Penny, Chris uh, Hedges and Chris Pennybaker, uh, Bob Leacock. So, it, we really honor filmmakers who do the work, you know, who turn good stories into good films. And, uh, we work all year long in putting the program together in addition to a spring event. And sometimes we do a fall event, you know, a one-off wow. film. You're, you're very, uh, you're very full. I mean, you, you sort of rival my energy. I didn't think there was anyone that nuts out there other than me, <laughs> but you, but you're it. I, we must be astral twins. We're both self-help. nuts. We're what, both what nuts. What are the crazy. dates of Take Two? Take, the Take Documentary Take Two Film Fest is December 1, 2, 3, and 4. Pretty nice. And, and you might have a fall event as well? We may. We'll see if we have enough energy. <laughs> yeah, you must. You must. Uh, you're a, a bit of a of a treasure that that needs some sort of a, a an award as well. So we we don't want you to burn yourself out. I think it's so great that you're bringing for the joy of spring and the love of all living creatures. To April seventeenth. April seventeenth. All and day. And people can go to our yes, all day. And people can come to the website. It'll be up in a couple of days, all the films, the information. They'll be able to buy tickets. Well, it's already and, up now because this is April 9th. So it's already well up. And get your tickets now kind of thing because April 17th is... Right. We'll put them up right. on the website, which exactly. is uh, ht2ff.com. I'll have a link to it that goes along with the podcast. Wonderful. Wonderful. I, I'm and really, you'll be there with I, your... I, I want to try and get there. You know, it's a bit of a hike now. Vermont is... I used to think that living on the east end of Long Island was a way to be three hours from everywhere. I mean, like so ridiculously isolated that going over the Shinnecock Canal really mm-hmm. was going into another world. It doesn't hold a candle to Vermont, but never mind. I know. <laughs> never mind. They just get further and further, but I would love to see the mission. It sounds fantastic. And uh, I'll try my best to get there, but I know other people will definitely come. Jack, thanks so. so much for putting this together. The animal lovers on the East End have a treat in store. Thank you Thank so you, much. Thank you, Tracy. Take thanks. Care. Hope to see you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after this quick word with Allison Hodgson and the Pug List. This show is made possible in part by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado who has created innovative litters for the health of all members of the family with low-dust litters that allow everyone to breathe easier. Precious Cat's newest health monitor litter has broken new ground by allowing people to find the early signs of kidney disease in their kitty cats and intervene before damage is done, prolonging the quality and length of a cat's life. 
This show is also brought to you with the generous support of Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils. However, all fish oil is not created equal. The Nordic Naturals difference is that their oil comes from Norway, where they use responsibly sourced healthy wild fish and third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness. I am back with Allison Hodgson, whose book, The Pug List, A Ridiculous Little Dog, A Family Who Lost Everything and How They All Found Their Way Home, has, I would say, pretty much the cutest cover I've ever seen on a book. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. How how thrilled were you by this picture on the cover? That couldn't possibly be your daughter and your real little pug. That's the real pug, no. Oliver. No. And that is my daughter, Eden. And the the cutest thing is that was her idea when this book was still a dream. She carries him around like that. And she said, and for the cover, oh, come the on. book was already real. And, wow. she, and then, thankfully, um, our publisher thought it was a good idea, and we... I can't believe it. As as you know, with all the guests that I have uh, on the show, I don't talk to them beforehand because then we say all the good, interesting, and funny and delightful stuff beforehand, and then we're all worn out by the time we get on the air. I had never said a, asked you a word about this cover. It is so enchanting. This little pug, his little tongue hangs out a bit, and her darling little pigtail ponytail, and I don't know, his pink tongue and her pink hoodie. It's just wonderful. I love that that's really her. Well, the story of the I'm particularly a lover of pugs, as is as, as are such an enormous list of people. I'm, I'm sort of late to the party, but the, uh, the 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 house call vet, who's the uh, the veterinary consultant on the Dog Film Festival, she's on her fifth or sixth rescued pugs, and my friend Daphne in England is on her fourth or fifth rescued pugs. So I've met a few, but yours really is the most extraordinary story. I don't think it's giving anything away for you to talk a little bit about that this is a memoir and it's real, and how did you wind up, what is the pug list, but how did you wind up having a pug in your home at probably the most trying time that anybody could ever live through, that their house is burned down by an arsonist? I know. It's 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 one of those things where uh, I couldn't have made up the story. And uh, right before our fire, by the way, it was random. The arsonist didn't know us. And um, he just set our house on fire. We were all home and in bed. And But before that, we talked about rescuing a pug. I'd fallen in love with one online. I talk about that in the book. It's kind of yep. a funny story. And well, you can tell it, now. tell it now because we're on Dog Talk. So people love to hear funny stories about well, how you find a dog online. I, it was just kind of, it was just, I don't, I got on Pet Finder, which I, your listeners would probably really understand this, just... I don't know why, and I looked up pugs. I'd known one, and um, that just was in the back of my head. I thought, oh, I'll look up pugs. We had a black lab. He's an English lab, and we were just getting to the stage where he was trained. So I think a part of me was, was like, oh, you've got a tiny bit of extra energy. You haven't been in a flop sweat every single day. <laughs> so I look on Pet Finder, and I find this pug pops up and his name is Tonka and he was so fat. He was a square and you know how some dogs seem to smile and he just, he had a bandana and there were three pictures and the description was hilarious. And I just, I was gone and my husband less so. And so we went back and forth and then finally uh, he said, 
okay. And um, and so when I when I contacted the rescue, Tonka had just been adopted, and and I and I was so disappointed. And but my daughter, in the meantime, my daughter Eden, who was seven at the time, she had become interested in pugs, and I hadn't. Um, so she had said, well, you know, I'll help, I'll help earn the money. And so she had started a pug fund. Well, the day before our fire, she put her money in the bank. And so we're Thank watching goodness the house for right that, now. right? Yes. So, yeah, well, and it wasn't very much, you know. No, I, mean, I like, know, but to her, it was the know? world, right? I mean, she it was one dollar at a time. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it was everything. So, so while, so we were all home and in bed when the fire was set, we're watching it burn, and she said out loud, she said, oh, I'm so glad I opened up my bank account. And in her mind, her pug was still safe. Well, after the fire, I I could barely handle myself, let alone my children, let alone our dog, let alone a rescue pug, a new breed. And right. I thought, what was I thinking? A second dog? That's, oh, I, it was it was a madness. So I was over it, but Eden wasn't. And she began writing this motivational journal, which I wasn't really aware of because I was just kind of in survival mode with insurance and everything. It's and, hard for um, anyone to really wrap their head around. I mean, you say it because it didn't happen yesterday, but it happened fairly recently. Yeah, we it was set while we were in the house. We got outside and we watched our house burn to the ground. I mean, if any, you know, this it is, is, is a, it's just a fact. It's, a, it's <laughs> one of those things you sort of maybe hear on the evening news, but imagine a whole family with all their possessions and belongings burnt to the ground. And right. then imagine all the pieces that have to be created, recreated, put together. I mean, it's sort of hard to imagine. And here's Eden like, okay, uh-huh, you guys worry about that. I'll worry about finding the pug. Right. That became her top priority. And so she was writing in this journal. It had a picture of a fawn pug on it. And she didn't know how to spell the word diary. So she called it her pug list. Aww. And we resisted her throughout the rebuild. She kept coming back to it, mentioning her pug. And then finally my husband said, you can earn the money for the pug. And, um, and then the story is the <laughs> spoiler alert. Cause the actual pug is on the cover. She got her pug. And so the story is about, but the, the pug list, why I call it the pug list is that was the hinge when I read her little, her little diary. Um, and it was just so full of her heart and her dreams. And, oh, you know, I just knew, oh, this is an important one. I got to, we got to do you this. You were a so. mom that knew this was the way this little girl was going to keep her cheer and her positivity and her belief in the future and her belief that if you work hard and try hard for something, you can get it. I mean, there's a line that's on the back of the book about, um, as you say, you realize in one fell swoop that your girl's heart is on the line, and there's a line from the pug list, the pugs make me happy forever. And there's just yeah. something about pugs to those people who have fallen under their enchantment and spell that they really get it. They're just really funny. They're funny, and they're quirky, and they're just something all by themselves. You know, they're, they're of course, they're, they're a, a dog. Special, they're yeah. a special they're, subcategory. They just they yeah. just are. One of the things that I, I wanted to talk to you about is that you're very religious in in the way that you dealt with this, uh, to me, very religious, because there's a great deal of praying on this and praying for that, uh, just as a normal part of your family's um, dynamic, to, to yeah. figure things out, to come to decisions, not just, oh, my God, life has come apart, let's pray, but sort of like, let's pray about that and see where it gets us. And 
I, I find it very interesting that, and I'd like to talk a little bit about it because I think it's just interesting to everyone else to understand that there is Christian writing and there are Christian publishers and your publisher, and it doesn't have to be a religious book per se, but it's, I think there's some heart and soul of it that's driven by Christian thinking, Christian uh, beliefs, inspiration. So, so Zondervan Books is part of a, of another larger publishing company, right? How does that work? Um, they're, yeah, they're a part of, they're a part of HarperCollins and, um, they are a Christian publisher and I am a Christian and, uh, I think the, yeah, and, and my faith, it's, my faith is a real part of the story because I think yes. anytime, anytime your world is shaken, uh, you, you get down to the basics. And for me, um, where God is in my suffering is where God is, period, um, is, is one of the fundamental questions. And, uh, I think I, I think I wrote about it. Well, I know, I know I wrote about it in a way that is, is, is open and someone who doesn't share my belief, I think can, can take, can, can be in my story and not be, um, Put, put off by oh not at know? all and, not not but, at all it's so natural it's so natural to you and your family because it is i mean that's that's genuinely and 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 i grapple with it because i i thought i knew what this would be like and we'd been through other hard times and i thought this is just stuff and so i thought i already had the maturity um, emotionally and spiritually with different things I'd gone through, but I didn't understand trauma and I didn't understand a massive, I, I had never had a massive insurance claim. <laughs> I hope nobody um, ever has to have anything worse than maybe your car got totaled and you walked away. I mean, your whole I life know. burning to the ground is just really hard for someone to understand. It's rebuilding everything and, and setting those priorities and what matters yeah. and, you know, where yeah. do you put those resources? Um, I think for me it was really interesting because I know people who identify as Christian or Jewish or something, but they don't bring up prayer as part of their daily figuring out of their life. And your family does that. And it was just very touching to someone who's for whom it's unfamiliar but fascinating that it's that much interwoven with your life. Uh, the, the bio of you on the book, says that your writing has been featured on Christianity Today's Her.Menudics. What does that mean, blog? What is menudics? Um, Hermeneutics is kind of an, an, an exploration, an, an understanding of Scripture, but it's also oh. a play on words of her. I saw it's, that. It's a, it's a blog for, for women. Oh, wow. So, um, that's so, really, that's interesting. I, I, did, I mean, I could have looked it up, but I'd rather have you explain no, it. It's, it's a cool no, word. It's I'm her happy to. Dot menudics. And then Religion News Service. And you co-founded, and this is very interesting to me and might be to other people, the Breathe Christian Writers Conference. So what is that? Um, Breathe is a writers conference that came out of a small writers group I'm a part of. And it wasn't my brainchild, but I was there and have been there every year for 10 years. And it really came out of the desire. Writing is a very uh, personal and 
it's something you a solitary pursuit. Hopefully, I mean, you at at the end of the day, you have to to get alone and get the words out. And so it can be solitary. Doesn't always mean lonely, but it can be. And and there's a, a richness when we're with others. And so breathe came out of that. Uh, the the desire to make connections and how just having accountability can be very helpful. Accountability write. in your writing. I mean, like a, like any writer's colony type of thing or writer's conference? Like, well, the writer's group is a place for writers to come and learn and make connections because publishing is a hard business and the more personal it is when you meet an agent or you meet an editor, just the likelihood of getting above the huge stack is so much greater. So it really came out of a desire to connect writers. And then, you know, so there's that, the business part of it, connecting with agents and editors, but also connecting in your community and finding other writers with whom you could meet and and grow together. Because I don't have a critique group, but we just meet every month. And for me, that became, I have to... Well, every month I, when I wasn't writing, it was uh, my update was I haven't written, and that was feedback for me. <laughs> so any any any, regardless of the nature of your group, it's helpful because it lets you know what you're doing or not doing. So and, and it, also makes lovely, you makes you feel not so alone if you're in the in the mode of being self-critical or putting yourself down or feeling like a loser or uh, you know stuck, and you find out. Oh, I'm not the only one who's going through that. Yeah, but, everybody struggles. Yeah. But being a Christian writers conference, is everyone there? Um, are they f- a writer first or a Christian first or are they side by side? And is it always in their work or does it have to do with the way that, that the conference itself is structured? Well, the, the women in the group I'm in, and it's men and women, it's not just women, but right. the, our group just happens, we're friends and we just all, we happen to be women. And, uh, we're all Christians, but we've had atheists come who loved it, who felt welcome and supported. So it's just a very welcoming atmosphere. But the worldview of the the keynote is always they're a Christian, and so it's um, yeah. So that's a big. So when you say about networking, which I think is one of the reasons that some people even get an MFA in literature in these low residency programs around the country, because it connects you to the publishing world. I mean, maybe you yeah. do learn to be a better writer, but you're usually a mature person and doing that as along with the rest of your life. So that networking idea of, well, you'll meet a publisher or a publishing rep or even the secretary to an agent, it's super essential because knocking on the door, you could throw rocks against the window. You're not going to get your stuff read. But I'm wondering, in addition to your publisher or your boutique within your publishing house, are there many other Christian-oriented publishing houses or publishing divisions? Yeah, there, there, there are quite a few. There are quite a few. Um, and they all show up, or they all are represented at the conference often? No, not at, not at our conference. Not all of them. Um, no, it's a, it's a smaller conference, but but some of them are. So, but there's you, there's always editors and there's always agents. It's 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 a more local conference. It's a smaller conference, but there are ones. You know, I mean, they're all over but what all over the country but something that's really special about ours is there there are fine presenters you know great pre- presenters and then also we've all worked all of us have gone into writers conferences and the first day it's just such a 
you, you just feel naked and yes. you're, you're saying you're saying I I'm you're you're acknowledging you you have a dream and you have a hope nice. and and that's vulnerable and that's so really something... nice that I mean that to bring it back to the book that's sort of like your daughter Eden she was keeping this pug list because she had this yep. hope and dream and she was writing it down and she was dreaming it and feeling it and praying it and hoping she was on her little hero's journey she yes. was on Yes. A little, it, she, it's, she's, it was, yeah, she was, sorry to be inarticulate, but she's just, I mean, you read it. She's, she's an amazing kid and I mean, well, normal. She, but she lives in, in a, in a family that's really supportive and really listens and really pays so, attention to what matters, you know? Sometimes well, sometimes, we like the <laughs> well, I mean, that would make you extremely human. I just think it's fascinating the, the intersection of your Christianity and your writing and this little pug who, who brought such joy and, and out of the ashes came outrageous Oliver. I think you did a, a wonderful job telling the story. And as you say, it's real. I couldn't have made it up, but I'm telling you at least half, well, not half a dozen, three times in reading it, I kept going to the back cover because I thought, no, this is fiction. No, this is a memoir. No, it's fiction, which is, I know. A, which I is know. a really big compliment, by the way. Because, oh, thank you. you know, a memoir can be plotting and fiction can be more fanciful. And it's somewhere, you know, right between truth and fiction. But, of course, it's all truth. So it's, it's a wonderful job. The Pug List is a tremendously charming book. And I would say that to anybody with with kids who would love to have a dog or got a dog after loving it. It's a wonderful book for kids too. Cause I think that you, you do see a lot of the world through your daughter's eyes. And if nothing else, you should have this cover on your coffee table. Cause so adorable. It just makes you smile. Thank I you. know it's, that, it's, that, it's that, that little, it's really special. Allison, thank you so much. I hope that you will continue to write more books and if they have dogs or cats in them, you know, you'll always be welcome back here. Oh, thank you. I, I plan to write more, so I'd, I'd love to return. Thank Wonderful. you for having me. We'd love it. Keep up the good work. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after this quick word with Ellen Myers, and we're going to talk about a breed called Briards. Quite unusual. We'll be right back. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Halo, holistic, natural cat and dog foods, which are made from real ingredients you can recognize. Halo uses real meat in their kibble, no rendered byproducts, chicken meal, or chemicals. And their new grain-free recipes, like Vigor, give you even more healthy choices for your pet's dinner, while Daily Greens brings vitamins and digestive enzymes into your dog's diet. Halo is a private company partly owned by Ellen DeGeneres, where they emphasize giving back, by making donations to shelters through freekibble.com for pets awaiting a forever home. I am back with Ellen Myers to talk about Briards, this breed that I happen to have known something about. My ex-husband made a movie with a Briard in it, which I didn't tell Ellen, but I'm telling you now. Yeah, and so I couldn't wait to hear more about a regular (laughs) human who actually owns show dogs, and then I meet them at Westminster Dog Show. I mean, how amazing was that? Ellen, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's fun to be here. It's so fun. Ruth Applehoff, <laughs> who runs Guild Hall, who's a good friend of yours, and you, by the way, I'd like to talk a little bit as well about what a good friend you are to Guild Hall and to culture on the East End. She invited us both to the the Westminster Dog Show. As you know, the Dog Film Festival is coming to Guild Hall August 2nd. And it never occurred to me that I'd be meeting a lady from the Hamptons who's 
dog was actually in the dog show. Can you roll back the tape a little and explain how you came to own this unusual breed to the level of having qualified for Westminster and being there? It's I don't think in all my 10 years of doing this, I've met but one person that this was true of, because you have a very full life doing other things as well. I do. Well, um, it, it's kind of an odd story. I backed into it, actually. Um, uh, at the time when I got my first Briard, which was back in the 1980s, wow. um, I had actually just broken up with a man, and I said to myself, why don't I buy a dog? <laughs> Some of us have, have followed in those same steps. We already had the dog and go, okay, man or dog, yeah, I, think, I get it. <laughs> right. So I was looking for a smaller breed because I lived in New York City at the time, and I bought the American Kennel Club book of purebred dogs because I wanted a purebred. The reason I wanted a purebred is purebred dogs have qualities that you can expect to find and know in them, and I wanted something predictable in okay. that way. That's that's a very good reason. And I was, but I came across the description of Briards, and I I fell in love. Really, and I love the okay, look of the dog. Explain that because this yeah. is a dog that ain't no lovable, cuddly dog. They're they're no. pretty serious, and they're whatever the opposite of small is. That would be a Briard. This is a exactly. big, dark black with intense. I would say, you know, the coat is bristly, and sometimes you don't even feel you can see their eyes. So for me, they're kind of mysterious, almost masked, like Zorro or something. They are, and actually their fur is considered hair, and it's one of the Uh, dogs recommended for people with allergies. Right. It's like poodles. It grows like hair. It doesn't shed like dog fur. Right, it doesn't shed. It does mat up quite a right. bit, so they need grooming. They are a high maintenance dog, but it doesn't rub off on your couch and stuff. Right. So you look in this book and go, okay, well, never mind the idea of small. What made you fall in love with them? Well, I was visiting some friends who had just had a baby in Massachusetts. A human baby. A human baby, a human baby. yes. Okay, people do that, And too. we were looking through the, the newspapers, and there was a woman who had an advertisement for a Briard for sale. Back then, there was no Internet. Oh, no, absolutely. And I called and said, hi, you know, I've, <laughs> I'm probably not going to buy one, but I would love if you wouldn't mind if I came out and looked. And I remember she said, well, where are you? I said, I'm in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She said, well, that's a bit far, but if you really want to, it's fine. And what the, to fast forward, I went, I fell in love, and I bought a puppy. So the puppy, so she had a litter for sale. She had a litter. That's why she was advertising Got in the it. newspaper back then. You know, people put ads on the Internet or they're in breed clubs and things like that. And so I went to see her and... She had um, the mother and the grandmother and the great-grandmother and then the no. litter. So, so this is, I of course, just, said, just to well, remind, remind people that this is one of the things that I've said. If you are going to go to a breeder, if they have the mom and dad or more than one generation of the dog on site, yes. it tells you everything, as you said, about predictability. Because if those dogs have qualities that you like or don't like, there's a mm-hmm. very good chance that puppy will also have those qualities. Yes, and as it turned out, this woman, the breed comes from France originally. It's an old French sheepdog, and it's a cousin to the German Shepherd, which was in Germany originally also a sheep herding dog. Right. So the Briard, so she was French, and she was very knowledgeable, actually. So it became an interesting afternoon 
as well, speaking to her. And she wasn't trying to sell me a dog because I she assumed I wasn't interested but just wanted to come experience them. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, she said, well, it's a big dog, but there are many that live in Paris. She <laughs> said, and they're quite all right. She said, so you, you could live with a dog in New York. She said, you know, certain puppies in the litter might be better than others. And as it turned out, when I... You know, and I left and came back a few times. I went out to lunch. I came back, and the same puppy kept uh, visiting me. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, and actually, it was one of the puppies I liked a lot in the litter. There was another one I liked, and she, because she was knowledgeable and knew the litter, um, she said if I was serious that that one particular dog was better for me and certainly better for New York City, and she explained why. And I ended up... Um, buying the puppy. It wasn't ready to leave yet. I had to go back to Massachusetts a few weeks later when the puppy was nine weeks old to collect him then. He was too young at seven weeks to right. take him with me. Important so that's for any to know that if any, even a good yeah. breeder says seven weeks, it's got to be a minimum of eight. They have to stay with their litter, especially yeah. a strong breed like this, a strong, it's, serious breed. Exactly. It's, it's very true. And uh, so that's how it all began, quite frankly. It was sort of an accident, but it was one that arose. This is really the wrong reason to buy a dog because I was just visually and and mindfully attracted to the breed. I don't know that it's there. I just want to say I don't know that it's the wrong reason. I think there's a curious thing about what attracts us, maybe even to other people, but that's not yeah. the show. But I do think that for some people, a collie, is their idea of a dog. And for somebody right. else, they look at a pug and they go, that's a dog. Yeah. And it's really most unusual, but I do think that, that the visual part, and that's why people can go on PetFinder.com and look for dogs through hundreds or thousands of dogs for adoption or rescue. They can scroll through those pictures and one picture pops out of them. It is your eyes that are the first thing that makes you fall in love. It's kind of a love at first sight type of thing, and I think it's valid. Because well, it if, is. If that's it, what rings your yeah. bell, then yeah, every time you see that dog, that little bell goes off. Yeah, that's true. It, it is true. There is a chemistry to it. I don't want to, you know, disown it, but some people's lives and their lifestyles are such that that particular right. breed at the end of the day isn't really the best idea for them, even if they do love the breed. You know, it's, it can be like that too. But as it turned out, anyway, the dog ended up, I just, just loved my dog. Actually. What was his name? It was a female, and I named her Daisy. Aw, Daisy. Her, her registration name was much fancier. Of, of course. course because they all, but I called her Daisy, and she was a great dog. And, and, that, and what happened is, is this woman, again, was not very, you know, forceful. But when I was leaving to take that puppy, she said very casually, by the way, if you feel like it and you have time, that puppy is showable. Oh, my. And I looked at her. I said, what are you talking about? I had never been to a dog show, by the way. Really? Never been to a wow. dog show in my life. And I kind of said, what do you mean? She said, well, she's a nice quality puppy, she said, and she will be a nice dog, and she has a good character. She said, so if you have time and you ever want to show her at a dog show, no it, will, it would be possible to, to do that and, and feel good about it. And that's kind of how it all began. That is so fascinating. So it was, you've never been to a dog show. You didn't even know what happened there. And this no. idea is planted in your mind. 
And now we fast forward 30-something years, or whatever my math is, and there you are with a Briard that you've now learned uh, uh, more than you wanted to ever know about dog showing, which involves massive amounts of money and sending your dog with a handler to uh, many, many dog shows to accrue enough points to become a champion, to even qualify to be in Westminster, and there you were. With your dog trotting beautifully around a ring with many other dogs, which to the eyes of someone like me, pretty much all look alike. I mean, you know, there's no way that a lay person can say, oh, that's the best one because of the way it moves or the set of its ears or something. But that is really an amazing journey. How many dogs did it take between Daisy and the dog you just had in the show ring? Well, actually, compared to other breeders, my one litter was competing against most other breeders in the breed six litters. So my choices were much smaller, and my numbers of litters were much smaller than everybody else. And the good news is <laughs> I often still won. <laughs> so, Isn't that um, <laughs> funny? Because that first, because Daisy was your fundamental, your foundational bitch, as they say. Yeah. I, though, was always very worldly. And when I first decided to breed her, I was, I'm very much a self-study person, so I studied everything myself, thinking that's what I had to do. And I chose a male that nobody else in the United States had used. To breed. To breed to in my breed. But so I let, me just, about let me just it. interrupt and ask, is this like people who maybe were self-taught or not in the horse racing world? They have yeah. a mare or they have a stud and they go, a good combination would be X with Y. Is that what they what people do in the dog world as well, saying my dog has these qualities and mixed with the, that other dog's qualities, temperament and physicality and so forth, that's going to get me some beautiful puppies? Hopefully, yes. So you just you did it by by studying the- I did study. Yeah, I thought I had to. In other words, it, I didn't assume anyone was going to help me. It never crossed my mind. You know, in Long Island, I wasn't living around a lot of Briard breeders. No, I would think not. And so I, it just, and because I, I went to school and I went to graduate school where a lot of my study was research, I was familiar with research. It wasn't something like, how do I do that? So, so, so I guess what did that you do gave, with? What did you do huh? with all the puppies that weren't show quality or you chose not to show? Did you sell them to other people in the I show did. world? I did. From the first one, really? I did. Yeah, I did. And I was very lucky um, as it turned out. What I wanted to say by talking about this dog no one had heard of, that became a pattern with me. And it kind of made me um, a foe to many of the sort of um, – well-known breeders, I'm going to say, because they felt that anyone who was going to breed needed to ask them what to do, oh, which that's I never even crossed my mind. Yeah, that's really I, interesting. You were a rookie, and you had to I, pay your dues. Yeah, and they and the, I was kind of resented for that, which I didn't even realize until I was out in the, out in going other, to the dog shows. Yeah, in other words, I flew my dog across the country for that first breeding. Really, and most people will go to somebody nearby because. That's what they do. Right. And it was like, who was I to choose an unknown dog, fly my bitch clear across the country to do a breeding that nobody had heard of? And out came puppies that were just stunning. And out came a dog. I had a singleton puppy. His name was Igor. That is the only tawny dog to this day bred in North America that's ever won selection in France. You had, she only had one puppy? From That's that so yes. rare. And yeah. the dog was b- beyond special. He was 
completely correct according to the country of origin and won against all European competition in what's called their National Elvage Show. He didn't win. It's like there's a selection. It's like going to the convention of a pig convention. So there are judges there that are experts in, in that particular pig, and they make a selection of dogs who they say, these are your best choices of everything that's here for your breeding choices oh. if you are looking for a dog to breed to. And my dog was selected. He's the only male tawny dog ever bred in North America to this day to win selection, and that was 25 years ago. He's never been beat by anyone. No one else from North America has taken a male tawny dog to France and won selection yet. Let's explain about tawny. This is a breed of black dogs. So yeah, tawny, I'm thinking, is more like the color of a German shepherd. It's a tawny is meaning in, in Europe it's fauve, which means fauve is the color of, of the earth, of sand, of a deer, of a lion. And it's a, it can come with some gray. It's a tawny color. It's the color of the earth. It's the color of, of a, of a, uh, it can't be white. It has to be a warmer color. And it can be deep, go deeper into almost ruddy red tones, but it can't be the color of an Irish setter because that's not correct. It's so amazing what these breed standards say, and it's not just the U.S. or, or Great Britain. Here you have a French breed. And yeah. it's interesting about this non-competitive competition you're talking about yeah. because I think about countries like France and Belgium and, and Italy and others where the government actually supports in some way the breeding of certain kinds of horses, certain kind of cattle, certain kinds of dogs, because they're part of sort of a national patriotic, I don't know, tradition. Is that yeah. part of this to say to the French, here are some excellent dogs that should to continue the line of this nationalistic breed? Is that part of it? Well, at this particular event, which is, which is, it used to be called the Rassemblement in France. It's still called the Rassemblement when we hold one here. But there are, the judges who judge at that show are not your, it's, it's not any judge who can judge the breed. They're specially trained. I think it's almost five years of training under the previous specialist to get credited to be able to judge at that particular show. Wow. And it's really about understanding the breed and the nuances so well that they can distinguish what is really needed in the breed at that time um, and evaluate all the dogs that come in. For Really, it's simply an evaluation of all aspects of the breed. And those dogs that remain standing at the end of the day have the consensus of five or six judges how In other amazing. words, it's not a single judge decision. I see. It's sort of like um, like the ice skating competition in the Olympics where everybody, various people can sound off. Exactly, yes. It's not subjective, one judge, like right. dog shows, which can be very frustrating. Right. So there you were with this tawny puppy who didn't look like other puppies, but maybe you learned enough at this point to go, but I think he's going to be a really great dog. How do you get your dog to France. I mean, do, do, at that point, do you hire a handler? Do you already have a handler? No, I did it. Because wow. at the Elvage, it's not a dog show. The Europeans, which one of the things I like is, it's usually the breeders and the owners that show their dogs. No kidding. Um, yeah, it's it's much more relaxed. It's, it's changing today because of the Internet and the international communications. Dog shows in Europe are changing. But at an event like that... Again, it's not a dog show per se. It's it's a it's an evaluation. 
of the breed. Uh, and most of these judges at that time, at the beginning, would travel throughout the year all over France, and they would have what they would call pre-select judging because there are so many people. You can have your dog evaluated knowing it's not great, but the judges will still evaluate it because if you're a breeder and you're a serious breeder, you want to know what's right with your group of dogs and what's wrong. And sometimes, like anything, when you're so close to it and you love your dog, right. you're not really seeing where the issues are. And then, so that, those, and then that influences how you would change your breeding choices right. and decisions. And, and, that, right. and that's what they're hoping for, that they, they will show you what maybe you should be looking for if you are going to breed those dogs to make right. sure that they stay stay, you know, so that the next generation has improvements that are needed for your line. It's just, it's absolutely fascinating how someone could just back into this and then self-teach and go against a kind of closed community, doing it your own way, and coming out, you know, waving a flag. I, I think it's absolutely incredible. They're beautiful dogs. I mean, but so rare and so unusual. And there you are still doing it 30 years later, but not, you know, taking the dog everywhere yourself. You do have a handler. Oh, yeah, today I do because it's different. And and the dog shows in America, these are dog shows. And when you're competing, when your dogs become a champion and then you want to go to the next level and say, I want to show and and see if I can rank my dog among the top briards in the country, it requires a great deal of time. It requires, because it's based on points, and so you have to accumulate more and more points during the year so you have to be aggressive about showing your dog or else you don't get points so handlers go to shows every weekend it's very difficult for a lot of us who own and breed dogs to also travel and go to dog shows every weekend i would say completely unrealistic ellen we've run out of time but it really is such an incredible window into (laughs) and i I just love the idea that you're the little engine the little engine that could and winds up you know leading the train being the yeah but i want to say one quick thing the briard is a colonial dog to the united states the first american to ever own them and bring them to the states was thomas jefferson oh i love that what a wonderful little touch well i just wish you continued joy and success i know you you breed very little but but you show just enough to to show the world what you're doing and i think it's a great passion and i really appreciate learning about it from you i look forward to seeing you at the dog film festival august 2nd at Guild Hall, where you'll see your pal Ruth Applehoff, who runs it, and we'll get to look at a lot of other really nifty dogs at the same time. Thank you That'll so be much. Great. Take Thank care, you so Ellen. much. Bye bye. Okay, bye. Pleasure. Thank you all for listening. That was really a, a wonderful variety of people doing a wonderful variety of things around dogs. Have a wonderful rest of a weekend. Kiss those kitties and hug those pooches, and we'll talk again next week. Bye for now. 